Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello everyone and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown hosted by me, Unit here and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. This is a recap episode from match day 37 of the 2020-2021 La Liga season which means it's a penultimate recap pod of the season. We have so much packed into this episode for you. We'll be discussing the drama of the title tussle between the two Madrid teams, as well as Barcelona's collapse, Aiba's relegation and the return of fans to some Spanish stadiums. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into it and let's start with the title race. Because we're so close to the end of the season, that means that all 10 matches were held at the same 6.30 local kickoff time. And that only made what happened even more dramatic. After Atletico versus Osasuna, and Athletic Club versus Real Madrid were both goalless at half-time. Real Madrid went top of the table at 7.57 when Nacho scored to put them 1-0 up in Bilbao. For the next 23 minutes, they led the league, and it got even better for the Madridistas when Osasuna took a shock lead through Ante Budimir. But goals in the last 10 minutes from Renan Lodi and Luis Suarez turned it around for Atleti, and at 8.20 they were top of the table again. That 88th minute goal from Suarez is already an epic one and it will be even more so if Atleti go on to finish the job in the final round where a win away at Real Valladolid will make them champions. Let's bring in Atleti fan Jeremy Berrin of the Into the Calderon SB Nation website to discuss all of this. Your dream is still alive Jeremy but did you think that the title challenge was over at any point during all that Sunday evening drama? Oh, yeah, I did. I thought it was over. Honestly, after Budimir's header crossed the line, it felt over, you know. Atletico had tried, insisted, did everything but walk the ball into the goal and were still behind with 10 minutes to play. Two shots off either post, two offside goals, and Real Madrid had just gone ahead against Athletic at San Mames. Yeah, it seemed over to me, but that's why I'm not the coach. Yeah, thought it was over too, I started to think of all the, you know, Atleti Botland narratives that were about to come out, but then they didn't, they came back, and to come back and win like that, how much sweeter does that make this victory? It turns out this would be an incredible victory, Ewan, with 10 minutes to go, it didn't look at all like 2-1 would be the result, makes it all the more special. 
two guys who have drawn a lot of criticism and have really faded from view over the last stretch of the season, Jao Felix and Renan Lodi, came off the bench to start the remontada before the star power of Carrasco and Suarez saw it out. I mean, my goodness, the amount of suffering. Such a momentous win and great mental strength on display once again. The Suarez goal and celebration are going to live very long in the memory if Atleti wrap this up next week. Even if they left it late, this was overall a deserved win, wasn't it? I mean, Atleti could and probably should have wrapped it up even in the first half. This should have been 3-0 at halftime. It was a role reversal from some of the other performances during this season, which made it all the more interesting, where Atleti would play fine but not great, maybe overperform their expected goals mark and do enough to win. Several displays like that this season. I think back to Elche on the 1st of May. The first half Sunday was dominant, though. Atletico were overwhelming, and they were extremely unlucky not to put a ribbon on this game in the opening 45 minutes. But then we would have been robbed of a sublime, maybe title-defining comeback. You've mentioned a few names already. Then there's the goal scorers, obviously, and Oblak too. Who else stood out to you individually in this one? Koke stood out to me. 133 touches, directing traffic throughout the game. Such a difference in him in his second season as captain. He's emerged as a true leader. Sal gave a good performance too in what's been a really rough season for him. And the details on the winning goal, which I have played back probably a dozen times now, specifically the sparingly used Moussa Dembele, jumping up and out of the way so that he wouldn't block Suarez's goal-bound shot. Tremendous. Looking ahead to next week, the final week, away at Revai Lead, what's your thoughts a week out from that game? Well, my initial thought about next week's game is that if one of those draws in February or March had been a win, this title wouldn't be coming down to the final day. However, here we are, uh, partido a partido, and this is the last one. The Rojiblancos have clinched each of their past three league titles in 1977, 1996, and 2014 on the final day. So it really has to be this way, right? Vidalit have been awful, arguably the worst team in La Liga most of this season. Winless in 11, but they need a win to stay up. And just about anything can happen at this stage in the season, as Atleti found out Sunday. Vidalit could produce an incredible performance to hand Real Madrid the title. We'll see. However, I, I will say that Diego Simeone wouldn't want this any other way. One more win, 90 more minutes, and his Colchoneros will have earned their 11th league title. Yeah, it's going to be a huge one. Great for the neutrals and another afternoon of nerves for you and all the Atleti fans. Jeremy, well, thanks for coming on after the stress of this weekend. We'll discuss Real Madrid in some detail and Barcelona too later in the podcast. But now, let's move down to the other end of the table, to the relegation battle. Coming into this weekend, there were six teams in that battle. One of them was Elche, who were second bottom and looking doomed. Not anymore. Their trip to Greece is our sore throat game of the week. The match that Matt Clark is going to discuss in depth and bring you the best commentary clips. This was a huge one for Elche. And here's how it unfolded. Elche arrived at Ramon de Caranza in the bottom three, having lost their last three games without scoring. So when Jose Marie converted a penalty for Cadiz inside 15 minutes, 
Elche fans must have been fearing the worst. Their only saving grace was that relegation rivals Eibar and Real Valladolid had also suffered bad starts in their games. Elche held in there and thought they had equalised just after the second half had started, but Pere Mia was ruled offside after a VAR check. But less than 10 minutes after that, they did find a legitimate leveller. Pere Mia, the man whose goal took them up, came up with another vital goal. A tremendous finish too. Here's how it sounded on Cope. Goal importante Cadiz. Goal del Elche. Golazo, qué golazo de Pérez Miña. Se guisó y se la comió el mismo. La jugada se plantó solo ante David Gil. Y no falló. Ahora sí, marca Pérez Miña. Marca el Elche. This is the beauty of the simultaneous schedule. The picture changes so frequently, with the tension and pressure ebbing and flowing from one way and then another. Commentators are trying to work out exactly what each goal means, the implications that it has on the league table. It's so exhilarating for neutrals and it must be breathless for fans. Just six minutes later, Fran Esquivel's side completed the turnaround. After a corner, Raul Guti thundered a shot against the base of the post, but Diego Gonzalez reacted quickest and kept his composure to slot in. Not a bad time for the centre-back to score his first goal of the season. You can feel the emotion and the significance of this goal in the local commentary of Diario Frankie Verdi Onda Ilicitana. Elche had grabbed the game. They were still alive, still clinging to their chances of survival. Later on, after a lot of suffering and another chance going begging, Fidel Chavez put any nerves to rest when he scored the third through a fabulous individual play. Once again, you can hear the relief with the celebrations of the local commentary team. Yeah. It was a timely win for Elche and pretty unexpected given their form. It was their first away win since October, match day six of the season, and it was the first time they had scored three goals in a game all season. In fact, the last time they scored three in a game was their away win at Rayo Vallecano in Segunda last season, way back in March 2020, the last game before the pandemic. Elche were the big winners of the day. Huesca, Real Valladolid and Eibar all lost. It all means that three teams will battle for the final survival spot in La Liga. Escribal's side are level on 33 points with Huesca, coincidentally led of course by their old coach Pacheta. The Aragonese side have the head-to-head -head advantage, so Elche must get a better result than Huesca in order to survive. Huesca hosts Valencia, while Elche are at home to Athletic Club. Real Valladolid, two points further back on 31, will face title-chasing Atleti. And of the events of this round, and indeed this season, surely nothing can be taken for granted. This relegation battle is going down to the wire. Only one of those three teams can be saved, but Elche have given themselves a fighting chance. It's likely to come down to it though, Elche or Pacheta. Yeah, as Matt explained there, Elche do now have a chance of staying up, which is quite amazing when considering how poorly prepared they were as they came into the season not really of their own doing. It was also a big boost for Elche that Real Betis defeated Huesca 1-0 this weekend, that Real Sobiedad beat Real by lead 4-1, and that Valencia beat Ibar 
by the same 4-1 scoreline. That result does mathematically condemn Ibar to relegation. They're the first team to be confirmed as going down. And that's a sad one for most neutrals, I think, because I think everybody loved their Cinderella story of the town of a population of just 27,000 that made it all the way to La Liga. Personally, it's a very sad one as I got to meet a lot of great people in the town and at the club when I wrote a book about their miracle promotion back in 2015. And to me, it's just incredible that it was that long ago. Ibar is a club that's supposed to be too small for even the second division, yet they've spent the past seven years in Primera, earning wins over giants like Real Madrid and Atletico in that time. Even Thrash and Valencia 4-0 at Mestalla on one occasion at the same stadium where the relegation was confirmed this weekend. So, Ibar remain bottom and are going down. We'll see if they come back up and if they do so soon. At the other side of the relegation battle, two teams confirmed their survival this weekend. Alaves with their 4-2 win over Granada and Hitafi with their 2-1 win over Levante. They've both secured survival for next year. So, as Matt explained, there's three teams for two relegation spots. Westcar on 33 points, Elche on 33-2 and Real Vide lead on 31. Let's see what happens next week then. But staying with this match day, we've got so much more to discuss. After this quick break, we're back with more. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello everyone and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown episode. We talked about Atletico Madrid's epic comeback over Osasuna in part 1, but Real Madrid are still in the mix too, and only 2 points behind after they went away to Bobao to face Athletic Club, winning 1-0 with a goal from Nacho. Here's Hassan Karim to discuss this one now. We've heard about Jeremy's stressful viewing experience. As a Real Madrid fan, what were your emotions like, Hass, at the moment when your team went ahead and Atleti fell behind. Uh, weirdly, this actually gave me a bit of a throwback to 2016-17 uh, when Real Madrid played Malaga in the final day of the season. 
whilst the, the circumstances were slightly different, that kind of feeling of when they first sort of went ahead against Malaga um, and Barcelona were down to Ibar, I think it was. Um, it was that same kind of feeling like, OK, it's happening. OK, it's happening. Um, you know, just a, an immense sense of like really sort of being joyous, but at the same time, you really having to force yourself to suppress it because you know that there's still work to be done. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it, it's, it was a case of I wanted to be happy, but at the same time, I thought I can't like jump for joy quite because in reality, <laughs> you know, there's still football matches to be played. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's it's still not quite over. They once again pulled out a big win while missing so many players. Is that being given enough credit? I mean, it's something that's been going on a lot through the season where Real are pulling out results and, you know, at times also playing really good football. I mean, I thought the second half against Athletic Club here today was actually really impressive at times. Um, and there's been a few games like that where, you know, they've been literally down to bare bone when it comes to roster and they're still putting out results still putting up performances you know still showing they've got something so you know I, I think this was a really good result and you know all things considered um, you know first choice fullbacks both of them not available so you know you had Miguel and Odriozola you know Odriozola's been quite a story these last few games you know kind of redeeming himself Miguel's building up hype himself you know really catching the eye um, Nacho and Militao again at the back line stepping in for Varane and Ramos who are both missing who have been missing for some time you know these these little fill-ins you know they're really forming their own narrative and I don't feel like they've got their own credit you know I feel like Nacho has been amazing this season Militao has really stepped up Miguel showing he's got a very bright future Ariel is redeeming himself um, it's, it's really nice to see and it, it definitely deserves to be given more credit given the fact that this isn't the orthodox situation, this isn't the first choice situation. So the fact that they're still here, still fighting, still scrapping quite hard deserves way more credit than they're being given. Zidane denied after this match that he's already told his players he's leaving despite some reports which claim he told them this after the Chelsea defeat. What is your take on his future? In my eyes... Zidane has to stay. He has to stay and he has to be backed. Florentino Perez has been slacking for far too long, being completely and utterly inadequate for what is needed to be given to the team. There's been a blatant need for players for a while now. Okay, you know, you can give them a pass on the pandemic, but you can still get deals done at the end of the day. They haven't. They haven't got anything done. And, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you can criticise Zidane for, you know, not utilising Martin Erdegaard correctly, maybe, or maybe not giving enough of a chance to Luka Jovic, but... There's been plenty of other situations where he needed other options. I mean, okay, they've been lucky with the fact that Antonio Blanco has kind of showcased the fact that he can step in, but there's been no Casemiro backup for how long? You know, the the back line's down to bare bones. And, you know, it's just been through a bit of luck that the fact that Audrey Rizal has turned it around, you know, that Miguel stepped up, that Militao has turned it around, uh, that Nacho has stepped up in the way he has. I mean, thank God there's been no injuries to the likes of Courtois, um, and people like that, but it just—he it, needs to be given the right backing. He needs to be given the support that is needed. He needs to be given the pieces that he wants, or as close as you can get. Zidane's shown many times: you give him the right pieces, he turns that into trophies. He can do it. Um, but in that regard, yeah, I think you know he he should stay on, and I reckon he will stay on. You know, I, I think he'll at least see out his contract. Um, at least I, I do sincerely hope so.
Okay, thanks, Haas. We'll soon see what happens with Zidane, but for now, the focus is all on the final match day. But for Barcelona, there is already nothing to play for. Well, actually, that's not true. Uh, Sevilla could still catch them and leave Barca in fourth position, so they can battle for third in the final round. But in terms of the title race, it's over for Barcelona. Despite going ahead against Celta Vigo at the Camp Nou through Messi, two Santimina goals saw Celta Vigo win a fifth game in a row and take the three points. That lack of a fight to the very last moment has not gone down well in Barca land, as you can imagine. So let's get the lowdown from Roman de Arquer. I mean, we knew Roman that Barcelona probably weren't going to win La Liga, but for them to go down like that with a whimper, how disappointing is it for you as a Barca fan? Rather than disappointed, I'm very frustrated with how things went because after those uh, first 45 minutes, I mean, I really considered Barcelona had to win that game because they generated a lot of good opportunities. They got a goal. Uh, they were in front. They were under control. Celta were barely leaving their half of the pitch. But then suddenly one quick counterattack, uh, one shot they had in the first 45 and Celta get their goal because Barcelona just keep disconnecting at the back, especially in this critical moment of the season. Uh, they've been doing terrible in defense and they're not doing their job, which is avoiding uh, goals. And that's really cost us, to be honest. Then in the second half, Barcelona still tried, but you could tell uh, they weren't as dominant. That maybe fear of, of dropping points, as had happened in previous games, came back to the players and they just... Uh, lost it, Lenglet got sent off and I mean the game just uh, was lost for Barcelona at that stage so it's uh, very infuriating as a fan to see that your team isn't giving the 100% right until the end because even though the title was super complicated I mean for a while you know Madrid, Atletico were drawing there were still hopes and you have to keep pushing right until the end and that's something that Barcelona unfortunately hasn't been capable of doing this season For me it just reminds me of this time last season when they also lost in the penultimate round as the title was slipping away. On that occasion, it was at home to Osasuna. But are Barcelona in any better position now than they were at the end of 2019-20? I think it's quite obvious that Barca's winning mentality is long gone. But uh, I think we're in a better situation in the sense that we've um, helped give an opportunity to younger players like Pedri, like Dest... Uh, like Ilash, like Oscar Mingueza, Ronald Araujo, etc., which could be the future of this team. So I think in that sense, we're building something. And then also I do think that the team uh, plays much more entertaining football than it used to, or at least in my personal opinion, because last season with Valverde and Setien, I just couldn't stand the games. They were just too boring, in my opinion, too um, dull. I could say they were lacking creativity, whereas now at least... Uh, the team generates a lot in attack. It looks uh, like it really wants to to be ambitious forward. Of course, there's a lot of things to improve in the sense that uh, it's maybe not constant enough or they disconnect or the back there are lots of like defensive uh, struggles. But I think in, in some ways we can get a few uh, positives. And also, uh, it's a better situation in the sense that we have a new president who knows what he's doing, or at least I hope, who's done things really well in the past and who can hopefully work on taking the club to where it deserves to be. So overall, I think we're, we're better situated than we were uh, last season. Let's talk about Celta Vigo and what they're doing. I mean, they've now got five victories in a row. They won't get into Europe in the end. It was 
a case almost of too little too late, but they finished the season strongly. How encouraging is it for Celta fans to see what Eduardo Cudet is doing? I believe that in the end Celta finished uh, the season where they deserve to be because um, they have a good squad and it felt like at the beginning, you know, they were just um, not getting things right and they deserved a bit more in terms of the quality they had available. And in the end with Coulet, they finally achieved, I think, uh, that potential. And now obviously he can concentrate on building a better team next season, uh, getting the sign-ins he requires, making a few changes. But overall... Um, they got this positive momentum which hopefully they can um, build on towards next season and, and keep up the good work because they've proven that they have quality, they have uh, talent in, in different um, parts of the field and, and it's an interesting team to keep an eye out for. Okay, thanks Roman. Positive stuff then from Celta Vigo. Not so positive for Barcelona. Although I should differentiate between the Barca men's team and women's team because Barca Femini have just won the Women's Champions League, thrashing Chelsea 4-0 in the final with a dominant first half. They've become the first Spanish club to win the trophy, so that's a really impressive feat to go with their insane domestic form. So congrats to the Campeonas for that success. Alan Feely wrote a good piece all about this Barcelona women's team on LaLigaLowdown.com, so do check that out when you get the chance. Let's finish this episode by talking about a good news story that hit La Liga in this penultimate match day. It's the return of fans to the stands. Not everywhere, but in some stadiums. In the top division, there was a limited number of fans in the Valencia versus Ibar and Villarreal versus Sevilla games, both in Paco Pollock's neck of the woods. So let's bring in Paco now. Both those home teams won by big score lines, Valencia 4-1 and Villarreal 4-0. So those lucky fans had a lot of goals to cheer, making up for lost time for sure. What was that like to see, Paco? It definitely made me happy for the handful of fans who were lucky enough to witness the games. In the Estadio La Ceramica, they cheered as Villarreal absolutely thrashed Sevilla and ran circles around them in an incredible showcase of form, with Carlos Vaca scoring a hat-trick and Gerard Moreno scoring his 29th goal overall this season. As for Valencia, Eibar didn't really pose a threat and they were able to kill the game very early as they were beating them with a 2-0 scoreline in the 20th minute. Both Gonzalo Guedes and Soler scored a brace and were praised by the less than 3,000 fans in attendance who were much more worried about the incredibly high temperatures and obviously were focused on chanting the usual songs against Meriton Holdings, Peter Lim and Valencia's management. Can you explain to us why these two clubs were allowed fans and other clubs weren't? Yeah, it's related to the low levels of the COVID-19 pandemic in the Valencian region. Both the Comunidad Valenciana, the region of Baleares and also Galicia have very, very low levels of infection under 50 cases per 100,000 citizens. And that's why the national government allowed these three regions to 
enjoyed the return of the fans to the grounds earlier. Mestalla and La Cerámica were the first ones in La Liga, but we expect Levantes, Estadio Ciudad de Valencia, Elches Martinez Valero and Celtas Balaidos to hold fans in the last match day of the season. Also, it will be interesting to see how each club deals with the ticket sales for such an event, as we saw different approaches in match day 37. Whereas Villarreal raffled the 5,000 tickets for the game for free amongst their season ticket holders, Valencia gave priority to the fans who decided not to ask for their money back on the 90-20 season pending games last summer, but they had to pay regardless. The results were obviously uneven. Villarreal's game had all 5,000 fans in attendance, whereas Mestalla only held less than 2,700 fans, slightly over half of the allowed amount of people. Well, Sophie, that coach, Imanol Alguacil, whose side are competing against Villarreal for European positions, he said that this return of fans in only a few stadiums adulterates the competition. Do you agree? Actually, I do agree to some extent. For example, when we are talking about referee calls, it's much easier for them to do a neutral job whenever the ground is empty and there's no fan pressure. But I believe that in huge grounds where you can hold 30 or 40,000 people, a couple thousand fans do not really make a difference in the outcome of the game and or pressuring the referee. And you're getting the fan base again interested in the game and excited to go to the stadium. And the sounds of the game in the TV broadcast are much better, as you could listen to Valencia fans chanting against Peter Lim in live TV. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a reward to those regions who have behaved more sensibly over the last few months, with only two La Liga games left. I can understand Emmanuel Guacil, but at the end of the day, if Real Sociedad do their job, they should definitely achieve their goals this season. Yeah, I think most are happy just to see fans back in the stands because it had been too long. That Geddes opener against Iber was the first La Liga Santander goal to be cheered by fans in the stadium since Christian Tello's winner for Betis against Real Madrid on March 8th, 2020, 434 days later. As Paco explained, some grounds will have fans for the final day of the season next weekend too. It's going to be a special one as most of the games take place again at the same time on Sunday evening, so make sure you're following La Liga Lowdown on social media if you're not already. For now, my thanks go out to Jeremy Barron, Matt Clark, Hassan Karim, Roman de Arker and Paco Pollock for their contributions to this episode. I've been your host, Jumit here, and thanks a lot for listening along. Have a good week, and we'll be back at the same time next week with our final Match Day Recap podcast of the season. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.